Welcome to Be Advised, Leading with Value with Brad Swinehart. In this podcast, we will focus on successful marketing methods for advisors that generate prospects and clients. We will learn from the best in the industry on how advisors in the trenches today are growing their practices. Join us for this journey where Brad draws from years of expertise and guest experts to help advisors reach their full potential. Welcome back to the Be Advised Leading with Value podcast with Brad Swinehart of White Glove. I'm Patrice Sakora. Brad has a guest, Mike Thurman, the co-founder of White Glove. Brad, why don't you give us the rundown on Mike and your topic, Building a Successful Business. Couldn't be more excited to have Mike Thurman join us today. And really from two perspectives, we definitely want to dive into the the secret sauce behind White Glove, and hopefully we can get Mike to spill some of that. But I really want to talk about the backstory of Mike starting an advisor firm, becoming successful at that, and then leading into White Glove. Mike, I would love to just kind of hear how you got started in the business as an advisor and what that path looked like for you. Thanks, Brad. Thanks. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I've been an advisor since 1993. I followed the other co-founder, Dean Thurman, into the business. Dean started, I believe, in 1991. From the very beginning of my career, we did workshops, seminars. These were educational workshops, and we did them at community colleges, libraries. These weren't food events. These were held at educational facilities. And it was cool because the people that showed up, I knew they were coming for the information and not just for the free meal. That's awesome. So you and Dean started out as advisors and you guys have built a very successful practice over the last couple of decades. What does that look like as far as growth and what really kind of fueled you to keep going? You know, I know you have sub reps now and, and you built out that office to really be a very robust machine over there. How do you go from you and Dean doing seminars to hiring, scaling? What was the driving factor? When we started out doing workshops, we went at it pretty aggressively. We probably did two to three workshops per week. We had a marketing budget that was somewhere around $250,000 to $500,000 per year. Back in the day, snail mail really worked well. We were getting 50 to 100 couples in a room doing a seminar that was a very holistic 10 and a half hour, three day workshop that we would do on successive Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays. And we did them throughout the year. We took a pause in the summer. We're in Michigan and weather gets uh, really nice here in Michigan in the summertime. So Not a lot of folks like to go sit in a community college at that time of year. So we packed in the workshops from September through about June and then basically took the summer off. But we built up about a half a billion dollar practice over those years. For us, starting out, we would see everybody that came through the class and do appointments in the office with every single person that came through the class. As as we kind of moved into deeper into our careers, we didn't want to see everybody. So we hired sub reps. That was nice because once the sub reps were up to speed on speaking, that took a little bit of load off on the speaking requirements that we had. I've probably done over a thousand public workshops myself alone, uh, as well as Dean. So that was nice. And then the other nice thing is 
we didn't have to see everybody. Everybody that came through the class would just get split up between myself, Dean, and uh, some of the sub reps that we hired. And now we're at the point where we essentially both have closed books, but we're still feeding the sub reps with as many possible seminar leads as we can possibly give them to help them continue to grow their business. So that's really how we progressed and how we got to where we're at today with our financial planning firm. And that's why it's financial. And I would imagine that along with just doing seminar after seminar, it sounds like you guys had a, just a huge workload there for those sub reps taking the expertise that you learned doing a thousand seminars and trying to pass that down to the new sub reps. Let's talk about that for a minute. How does that process work to, to get someone trained and to really kind of take your skills? How do you put those skills into a, a new green sub rep so you can keep that momentum going? It's not very easy, but we trained them much in the same fashion that I was trained. And the way I learned was by watching others. When I first got into the business, I had a couple of managers that were very adept at doing workshops. And I just sat in the audience and, and watched them. I didn't try to reinvent the wheel. I did my best to try to mimic them. I tried to tell the same jokes. I tried to tell some of the same stories. Because starting out at that point in my career, I didn't have a lot of stories myself. <laughs> so I had to use other, other people's stories. Eventually, over time, I developed my own humor and stories. People invest with people they trust and people they like. So standing up there in front of your crowd is really an audition. You're auditioning for a job. And to get hired for that job, you got to make sure you're likable. Humor is really important. When we trained our other reps, I, I just said, come to my workshop and just watch and listen. And, and don't try to reinvent the wheel. Just mimic what I'm doing. Over time, you'll get things put into your own words. You'll have your own stories. But for now, just borrow mine. That's kind of how we did it. Yeah, and I imagine that it just it takes time to get comfortable in front of an audience. I know I speak to a lot of advisors that maybe they tried one or two seminars and, and they didn't see the success they were they were hoping for or expecting. What would be a best tip for someone like that that maybe is a little bit frustrated, they're maybe a little little nervous to get back in front of a crowd, even if it's virtually now, that, that you would tell that advisor of, hey, you know what, it takes some time, but what what kind of tips could you give that kind of encourages that advisor to, to understand how the seminar and now virtual seminars, how that process really works to grow your practice. My biggest tip for anybody when it comes to public speaking is practice, 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 and then practice some more. By the time you get up in front of that crowd, you need to have done it 20 to 50 times. If you think about any athlete, actor, actress, to be good at something, to be really good at something, you have to work on your craft and you have to take it seriously. I did it just out of the fear of making a fool of myself. I desperately did not want that to happen. I practiced and practiced and practiced again. I practiced in front of my family. I practiced in front of the mirror. It's important too, and this, this is really important, is to have what we call a power opening have a very strong opening. That first two minutes, that's when your audience is going to decide, is this somebody I would do business with? Is this somebody I'm going to enjoy listening to? 
it's your moment to grab their attention. If you don't have a power opening, it's going to be an uphill battle from that point forward. And then you got to close it up. You got to close up that workshop with a power close. You got to leave them wanting more. You got to leave them wanting to come into your office. The goal of the workshop is to get appointments. And the only way to get appointments is to close them on an appointment. All that stuff in between, the actual content of the seminar, they're going to forget it all by the time they get to their car in the parking lot after the workshop. But they're going to remember that power opening and they're going to remember that power close. That's huge. It definitely sounds like it's more about that connection with your audience than it is about the content. Many advisors I'm talking to are very concerned about what topic they should be addressing to their audience. Maybe it's the Secure Act or the CARES Act or or something else that's in the news today. I know you have a brilliant marketing mind, which kind of led from doing seminars to creating a seminar company. Uh, let's talk about that a little bit. When it comes down to content for the seminar, you know, what is important? You're saying power opening, power close. That's that's the thing that's going to get the appointment set. But what should they be talking about in the middle of that thing? The 30 minutes in the middle, what does that look like? It just ultimately depends on who you're trying to target. We were targeting pre-retirees and new retirees. And so we really just tried to find things that addressed their concerns. In a lot of cases, taxes is a concern at that age. Estate planning is a concern at that age. The content is important. I'm not trying to diminish the value of the content. That's just a fundamental. And you got to know your stuff. You got to be capable. You got to be able to answer questions. You don't have to answer all the questions. You know, that's one of the biggest fears advisors have, I think, getting up and doing a presentation on any topic is, oh my God, what if somebody asks a question that I can't answer? Nobody expects you, the advisor, to have all the answers. And the worst mistake an advisor can make is just making up an answer that may or may not be true. If that happens, it's very likely you're going to get called out. And if you get called out in front of that audience, you're cooked. Your seminar is probably going to be a dud. So don't try to pretend to answer a question. If you don't know the answer, just be honest with the audience. Tell them you don't know the answer, but I'm going to get that answer for you. You can even set that up in the beginning as, you know, one of the expectations. It's really important to set expectations for your audience. They need to know what's going to happen both during the class and after the class. And you can say, you can be right up front with them and say, hey, I don't pretend to have all the answers here. Uh, I'm going to leave time for Q&A and you're, you're welcome to raise your hand at any point and I'll get to as many questions as time allows. But I do want to end on time. So if we start getting short on time, I'm going to limit the questions, but I will be here and I will be available after the class for as long as you like to answer more questions. And I also want you to know that I don't necessarily have all the answers to all of your questions. So if I don't know the answer to your question, be sure that I will find out that answer and I will let you know what that is. It's all about expectations. Nobody's expecting perfection. Like I said, the worst thing you could do is give them the wrong answer because you don't really know the answer and then get called out in front of the audience. 
<laughs> that sounds like a terrible happening if that were to occur, <laughs> given the wrong answer and then getting called out immediately in front of everybody. I think I agree that that would be, that would make your seminar quite the dud. You started, you and Dean, you're doing thousands of seminars. You're obviously very likable yourself and that exudes when you're doing the seminars. We're scaling up with sub reps now with an invest wise. I'm sure during your career, there's been times where the market's bad or the there's a lot of volatility or things aren't normal. You know, as we're, we're going through 2020 now, there's all sorts of crazy stuff going on. And maybe you've experienced some of that in the past, even, even what we're going through now, but how would you help an advisor get through that? Did your marketing strategy change? Did your, your growth strategy change during that time? Or did you kind of just weather it, put your head down and keep trudging forward? That's probably happened four times in my career where we've had major downswings in the market and major volatility. And, you know, that's the absolute best time for an advisor to actually shine, not just to your clients, but also to prospects. During volatile times, people are starving for information. They're looking for somebody to help them because they don't understand. They don't understand why the market's going down as much as it is and, and why it's so volatile, but you're kind of that beacon that can help lead that client or prospect through some difficult times. We always found that during volatile times in the market, that's when we had some of our highest attended seminars, naturally, because again, people are starving for answers and information. Some advisors do the opposite. They run and hide from their clients and they also run and hide from marketing because maybe revenue is, is down. Maybe their own personal accounts are actually down. So they feel like they got to just hold on to their money and not use it. But that is the absolute best time to be marketing is when times are tough. Well, I think like you said before, it's all about providing that value and education to your community. So it just makes sense that during volatile times, more and more of your community are going to have questions. And I love that being that beacon that you could be that advisor that can answer those questions for them. That seems like a very powerful position to be in that your prospects or your clients, if you do it right and you really guide them through that storm, that they're going to remember that for years to come. Oh, for sure. You've built InvestWise. It's a very successful, well-oiled machine now. And I know you have a couple of new younger sub reps and they're still doing seminars on seminars and seminars and they're, they're crushing it and they seem to be doing really well. What is your advice for them? They're young, they're just in the business. How do you push them and inspire them to achieve what you've achieved? It's just being persistent. When I started out in my career, I didn't have as much of a difficulty actually doing the workshops and getting up in front of a audience. That part was actually easy for me, and I know that's not always easy for some. And I didn't struggle with getting people to want to come in and see me. I had plenty of appointments. Where I struggled in the beginning was actually converting those appointments and those prospects into clients. And in the beginning, I had a lot of duds just because I, I didn't have the skill to close business at that point in my career. That took a little time, and it took a lot of practice. But the good thing is, is... I had a lot of practice. <laughs> I had a lot of appointments coming in. And yeah, I, I closed some business, but I didn't close as much business as, as I could have. And that's to be expected. I mean, anytime you do something for the first time, it's, you're never the best at it. It just takes time and it takes practice and you got to be persistent. And 
when we're out there in the field and we're talking to advisors and we ask them the question, you know, have you ever done a seminar? And they say, yeah. Yeah, I did a seminar, you know, maybe 10 years ago. It didn't work. I said, oh, you only do, did one seminar. Yeah, it didn't really work for me. That's kind of the wrong approach. Any marketing program is going to take time. You can't, you don't see Coca-Cola running one ad on TV and then just sit back and wait for sales and decide, oh, we didn't sell any Coke. So uh, we're going to stop running those ads. We're going to, well, I'm thinking of Budweiser, send the Clydesdale back to the Clydesdale. Yeah, the back Coke's to the got the, the bears, right? The, you, you only see <laughs> the one, bear, yeah. one polar bear one time. Oh, didn't sell, didn't sell a bottle of Coke off it. We're going to quit that. <laughs> you have to know in the beginning, as you're doing these things, that you're, you're going to stumble a little bit out of the gate. Some don't. Some just crush it. They have a natural God-given talent for doing seminars and closing business. That's very much the exception rather than the rule. And like anything, you just got to do it more than once to be good at it. You, you have to budget for it and you have to realize that it's going to take some time in the beginning to get ROI. But if you train properly, if you have a mentor, you know, somebody that you know that does seminars and does it successfully, my best advice is just try to mimic them from start to finish, not just the presentation itself, but their whole process, setting the appointments, meeting with the people, what's their sales process once the prospect comes into their office. Just do everything that that person does. I mean, that should be true in anything you do in life is to find that mentor, find that person you look up to and want to be like and then just do exactly what they do. This isn't rocket science. Don't try to reinvent the wheel. If you take your craft seriously, it's going to be something that you want to do and you want to practice so that you're good at it. Well, I think that the, the new young fellows you guys got over there, Brandon and Mason, they must have just a, a world of opportunity in front of them because they can, they can constantly pick your brain of, you've done a thousand seminars. How do I, how do I get better at it? And then they've seen your practice grow so significantly over the years that now they could just sit down and, and mimic you. Are you seeing that as a new advisor, I guess I don't really know the trajectory of a new advisor, but would do you think Brandon and Mason are seeing more success than the average advisor? Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. They're probably, for their age, they're in the top 1% of advisors and probably not even considering their age, they're probably in the top 10% of all advisors and they're still under 30 years of age. The only other thing I can say is you, you can't force it either. Doing seminars, you, you have to have a passion for it. You have to have a passion for getting up in front of your community and educating them. And you have to have a passion for helping them and helping them with their finances and helping them get to retirement. If it's not your passion, then you probably shouldn't be in this business and you should find something that is your passion. That's probably the most important thing. That's great. And it's crazy now to think that you've, over the years, you've honed in this process. You've developed this secret sauce, if you will, that can take a brand new advisor that's under 30 years old and push them up to that level of production and that uh, that growth so quickly 
is that what led you to start white glove or why would you, I guess a better question is why would you let that secret sauce out? Why wouldn't you just keep growing the, growing the practice? What led you to the evolution that now is white glove? One of my other passions has always been marketing. In the beginning of my career, I spent 90% of my time on marketing because that's all you have in the beginning. You don't really have any clients. You don't really have any money to help manage you're doing, making all the efforts in the world to try to attract prospects to come into your office and convert them into a client. You're forced into this marketing role. Most people don't like it. I have a, a big passion for it. You know, I told you earlier that in the beginning, our seminars were all done through snail mail. We were sending out mailers and invites to these community colleges and libraries and such. Eventually, those started to peter out. We started to see diminishing returns on responses. And, hey, Brad, let me ask you a question. What's worse than having two people show up at your class? Oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited to hear the answer, though. <laughs> One person showing up at your class. <laughs> at that point, 6.05, nobody's there yet. You're just hoping and praying nobody shows up. You'd much rather have zero. And then at 6.10, that one right when you're getting ready to pack up and leave, <laughs> you get that one person that shows up. I had that happen to me a couple of times. Spent a lot of money on a mailer to get one, basically one appointment, because that's what I turned it into. I just turned it into an appointment. And I vowed right at that moment that I'm never doing this again. I'm not going to spend that kind of money on a, on a mailer. I think I spent $15,000 and get one person to show up. It was bad. So we, can, we took a pause on seminars. For a while just because there wasn't the re we weren't getting the response we tried all kinds of things we had this fail board in our conference room did you say fail and board I think we, <laughs> yeah <laughs> so everything we we would try if it didn't work we'd stick it up on the fail board purpose being never try that again so that you remember and people that come after you they know not to try that again we tried all kinds of things. I mean, that was over the course of about seven or eight years. Then one day we had that Eureka moment and I have to give credit where credit is due. Dean Thurman, one of the other co-founders of White Glove, decided one day to put an ad for a seminar on social media, which I told him will never work. <laughs> <laughs> and lo and behold, we had about 30 households sign up for the seminar. Now, mind you, this was a test. So we didn't actually have a seminar scheduled. We didn't actually have a location secured. We were just going to see if people actually signed up. Just to see if it works. Let's just and throw an ad on there and see what happens. See if it, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we scrambled like heck. We couldn't get the room at the date and time that we advertised for. I think ultimately we just contacted the folks and said there was a problem with the room and we just tried to get appointments, but it was a eureka moment for us. And in the beginning, we only used it for us. But then I, we're in Michigan. We operate within a roughly 10 mile radius and we got this great marketing tool. We got this great special sauce on how to get people to show up at a workshop again, where snail mail was failing, at least on the educational workshops. Now, you can send out a snail mail and invite people to the steakhouse, 
and get people to show up at the steakhouse. But again, I like it when people show up to hear what I have to say and what information I have to share. I don't want people showing up just for that free meal. I'm not big on the crumb snatchers. I just would rather be in a library, be in a community college, and give people information that they want to hear. In any event, we decided, this is kind of cool, why don't we see if we can bring this out to other advisors? We looked at what are the pain points of an advisor? A big pain point is marketing. Advisors didn't get into the business to be marketers. You said earlier you spent 90% of your time in the beginning trying to learn how to be a marketer. Luckily, you're good at it, so you figured it out, but I can only imagine other advisors spending that amount of time and not seeing the success you saw. At least in my case, like I said, I, I discovered I had a passion for it, and most people don't have a passion for that, and I understand that. It's time-consuming. It can be expensive. Uh, there's a lot of trial and error. I think most advisors would rather look at something that's turnkey, something that's proven to work, and just tell me what I got to do, and I'll do it. So we developed the the system, and that's kind of when White Glove was born, where you know, the traditional model is you pay all this money up front, and we, we call that pay and pray. So you're, you pay all the money up front for the marketing, and now you sit back and you, you pray people sign up for your seminar. And then, then you also say a little prayer that the weather's going to be good on the night of your seminar so that people aren't going to be impeded by the weather to show up at your event. And then you're ultimately you're just praying people show up to the event. When one person shows up and you spend 15 grand, that stings. That's the other pain point that the advisors have, right? Is attendance can be all over the map for a variety of reasons, but you still have that high fixed cost to try to attract those people. So we just decided to do it the opposite. We've said, we're not going to charge the advisor anything. We're going to front the marketing dollars. And then we're only going to charge the advisors based on the actual attendance. It was the only, and still is, the only pay performance model in the seminar marketing business. It sounds like that evolution, right? Where you've, you've done a thousand seminars, you've created this secret sauce of success. We've, we've seen that proven successful with Brandon and Mason joining a business and ramping up faster than, than anyone would expect. And then we dive into, Hey, we got this great marketing tool, add in the, the risk-free payment model. And now you have this company white glove that really is, is set from a very unique perspective to help advisors see success. And as White Glove saw massive growth over the last four to five years, how is it adapting to the new environment where you can't go to a library or community center? Fortunately, we had been testing virtual seminars as far back as a year and a half ago with actually Brandon and Mason. We did some for a few other advisors as well. And it is something that we always wanted to gravitate to, but Doing virtual seminars is like moving a mountain. In other words, trying to get an advisor to try a virtual seminar and trying to get a consumer to try a virtual seminar by attending a virtual seminar is extremely difficult to do. But when COVID hit, there really wasn't any choice. Advisors didn't have a choice. 
because live seminars were dead at that point. All the venues had closed. For consumers, they were forced into the virtual environment as well because the market was in turmoil and they still needed the information. So the early adopters of the virtual seminars were pretty fortunate because what they found was just a massive demand for their services and their information that they had to share. And that still exists today. The market is still volatile. And now everybody's comfortable with the virtual environment. Mason and Brandon in our office are closing business without ever meeting the individual. They're doing the seminar virtually, they're doing the follow-up virtually, and they're closing business virtually. Well, it sounds like such a powerful tool in circling back what you mentioned earlier about when when things are volatile, that, that your community needs you the most. And if you can get in front of them in any capacity now, it just seems like a, a no-brainer that that will accelerate an advisor's growth, but also really help the community. Are you seeing that advisors are now able to meet new prospects? I mean, we talk about your community and you said a 10 mile radius earlier. Is that still applicable when it comes to virtual? Our office is in Bloomfield Hills, Michigan, which is a affluent area in Oakland County. And like I said, we, operated my entire career within about a 10 mile radius. And as live events start to come back, it's gonna be important to con- for the advisor to continue to do those live events within their own communities. But this whole world of virtual seminars has expanded the horizons of numerous advisors, including our own office. Where now, if there's an area you've always wanted to do seminars in, guess what? Now that you're doing them virtually, you can do them anywhere. You can do them across town. You can do them Orange County, California. Pick a community in the country or group of community. It doesn't have to be one. You have this amazing opportunity to expand your geo. And marketing isn't an exact science. But one thing that is true is if you keep marketing the same topic and the same geo month after month, week after week, over time, you get diminishing returns. And what that means is your pipeline becomes less full. So you got a couple choices. You can change the topics. You can alternate topics, which is always best practice. But you can also expand your geo. If you have a favorite topic, like a lot of people love our taxes and retirement seminar, and a lot of advisors just like to stick with what they know, and so they they do it over and over again, and eventually there's diminishing returns, and not as many people start showing up. So again, you either have to alternate topics, or if you're really stuck on that topic, you don't want to change topics, change your geo. It's extremely easy to change your geo with virtual seminars. Sounds like the whole country could be your your new backyard, and you pair that with the the new opportunity that we live in now. Not even a uh, the new normal, but I think it's just the more and more you talk, it just seems like there's just so much opportunity out there for the advisor that's willing to hone their craft, like you said, and and if they really care about 
the the people they work with, it's a, a, a blue ocean of opportunity out there for advisors. Thank you very much for your time today, Mike. Um, it's just, it's so great to hear from a successful advisor that not only built his advisory practice to such a great standing, but then also just shared all those best practices to create white gloves. So you crushed the the advisor game. You made a, a an amazing second company with White Glove that's been very successful. One final question here, Mike, is okay. So you've done both those things so dang well. What's next? <laughs> well, I really don't think White Glove is even close to being done yet. It is still very much in its infancy, and it is very much our passion to help advisors continue to grow their practice. And up until COVID, we were doing right around 650 events, live events per month. But there's still a huge blue ocean. There's still a lot of advisors that haven't heard of White Glove. And the other thing that's cool is last year, we had 120,000 households attend our workshops. Financial awareness is really lacking in this country. So expanding that as much as we possibly can, I'm not... I'm. I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm not done at White Club, so I haven't even thought of what's next yet because <laughs> I think there's so much opportunity just within White Glove that we just want to continue to grow and expand. That's awesome. Thanks, Mike, for being on today. And I think there's some real gems throughout this podcast here. And, and I hope that advisors can kind of listen to and learn from, learn from the best, if you will, and, and hear from a successful advisor that is, that is really kind of change the environment for every other advisor out there. And now there's options they have that they didn't have before. And thank you for that, Mike. And thank you for being on today. Thanks a lot, Brad. I appreciate it. Thank you, Brad Swinehart and Mike Thurman, both of White Glove. To subscribe to Be Advised, Leading with Value, just use the subscribe button on the page. You can also share with the share button. Thank you for listening to Be Advised, Leading with Value with Brad Swinehart. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of White Glove. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service providers with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.